Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to the show my all-time favorite engineer, Jason Livermore. Now, he works out of the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado. And if you don't dig through the liner notes, you might not recognize his name. But he, alongside Bill Stevenson, has touched the boards on damn near every great punk record in the last 20 years. All right, stay tuned. This is Jason Livermore. Cool, dude. Well, I'm glad we could uh, squeeze this into your schedule now. Yeah. How's uh, for sure. How's everything been going during the uh, lockdown and everything? Are you guys during working? The craziness. Yeah. The COVID craziness. Uh, it's been going pretty good, actually. You know, um, not a ton has changed for me because I just sit in a cave and work on music, anyways. You know? Yeah, I get it. Exactly. It's actually kind of nice. It's a little bit of a slower pace. <laughs> <laughs> not grinding quite as hard. Not grinding is quite as hard now. I had like a fair amount of projects like during lockdown and I had some stuff that was coming up this summer that's kind of gotten postponed and stuff that went to next year. And so it's slowing down a little bit now, but it's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Are you guys working with bands at all right now or are you just doing mixing gigs and stuff? Myself, I'm mostly doing mixing and mastering stuff, but there's another couple guys that work at the studio and they've been doing, they've been having bands that come in and it's kind of like, Half mask, half not mask. I don't know, whatever they, you know, yeah. however comfortable they feel or whatnot. Yeah, we're going to do your vocals right now. Uh, hope you don't mind if it sounds a little muffled. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, at least they're in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forget. Yeah, you guys are in a real room. I do all my shit in one big open space like an idiot, so. <laughs> no, that's fun, though. That, that makes it so you can communicate much easier. Well, yeah, I knocked out a wall because I had stopped taking, like, bands for hire. And uh, I'm recording myself, and yet every time I hit the button, I got to open the door, close the door, run in there, put on the headphones. I'm like, nah, I'm recording everything in front of the desk now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. I used to do a lot of mixing where I'd be like, oh, they forgot to do a backing vocal. You know, I got a backing vocal idea, and I would just grab a 57, and I'm sitting there at the console singing, you know, like, it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? I can't remember who that was. Might have been John Frusciante from the Chili Peppers or somebody who, like, insisted on recording his vocals without headphones in yeah. the in the control room. Have you heard anybody right. doing that? I've done that a, a number of times with like an SM7. Yeah, and it makes people way more comfortable. Like, if they're like kind of behind you and the speakers are going and they don't have headphones, you know, you got to deal with the bleed issues like a little bit, but. If they sing better, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I've done that for sure. Totally worth it then. Yeah, totally worth it for me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, whatever gets a good take, I guess. Absolutely. Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get downtime in the studio, I find myself getting inspired to do weird shit. Like, uh, I just started a job. I'm working. I have another desk now right here where I'm answering phones from home. Yeah. And uh, I was on hold for so long today. <laughs> But I'm like surrounded by guitars. And so I I picked up a guitar and I learned our hold music. Like the melody, the rhythm part, oh, yeah. the solo. <laughs> and uh, then on my lunch break, I recorded it and like sent it to my manager. And they were like, everybody was just fucking cracking up. They're like, why are you sending me our hold? And I was like, no, that's me today, just now. <laughs> right. I redid it all. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, uh, 
I used to have AT&T as my cell phone company, and AT&T's cell phone hold was a very specific sort of like 90210 solo sort of like major key happy thing, you know, and I'd always like, fuck, I kind of fucking hate this, you know? Yeah. And anytime somebody would do a solo, and I would be like, no, that sounds like the AT&T hold music. You're not <laughs> doing that. They'd be looking at me like, what are you talking about? You know, like, just trust me. I love that that was your go-to reference that everyone would just look at you like a dog who heard a loud sound or something like the what? They would. They would be like, what? what? Just, just, just do something different. Like, just trust me, it's wrong. Right. <laughs> it's no good, kid. Oh, man. So, I guess I have to uh, I have to mention, because I didn't think of this at the time, but um, this weekend, it's the one-year anniversary of peril the dead fucking serious album that you mixed and mastered right. for us man love that record thank you so much man that was yeah. that was really Dude, a treat there, there's so much fucking energy in that record it's <laughs> i don't know how you mustered it all up you know like i seriously like i emailed you one and i was like I'm yeah listening to these mixes and i'm driving home really fast you know <laughs> yeah you said uh you're like man i almost got pulled over listening to this shit on the way home and i just thought like Wow, I mean, it's cool to do a car test, of course, but like the fact that you just put in a, a day at the studio and then that's your, what you're putting on, I like, I just felt good about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that shit stokes you out, you know, it makes you feel like you're 14 and you're like skating or something. I, I don't know. No, I get it, man. I get I'm it. Into it's it. Summertime vibes, man, and <laughs> like to get to work with you and uh, well, again, because you had mastered that one squalor that we did. But yeah. To, yeah, to get the mix and master, man, it sounded so good. And then to work with uh, Winston Smith on the cover art, man, with all the shell casings and the, the cool. gun letter, man, like he just and nailed it. the video it. was super cool, Mega Man. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, yeah, you fucking totally. remember the songs, dude. That's great. Yeah. That was a real treat for us. I mean, I, I was mad jealous of our, our good friends, Broadway Calls, who uh, people will have just heard on the show talking about their new record. But uh, when they got to go out there and make a couple records with you guys. I, yeah, I was giving them fun. shit like, yo, send me pictures, man. How do they mic the drums? How do they do it? Yeah. They do stuff. They use too many mics. <laughs> well, I wanted to, I mean, we usually dive deep into, you know, the body of work and the hows and the whys and all that stuff. Um, um, yeah. I know that your background is as a drummer, right? Is that prior to being into audio? Yeah, yeah. I started playing drums when I was, I don't know, in like fifth grade or something and, got in a couple bands like in high school and then a couple more in college and it was i think when i went to college uh the first time i went to the studio we were gonna make a demo and i was like whoa what the hell is this place you know this is fucking cool yeah i want to do this and my the guitar player in my band was like oh i have a four track and I'm like, oh, what's that? You know, it goes, oh, it's just, you know, a little version of what we just did. And I'm like, cool, give it to me. Yeah, so can I borrow I it? Bought a book. Yeah, I bought a book called Modern Guide to Home Recording. And I sat in the basement on weekends instead of going out to parties, you know, like would try to figure out how to do all that shit. And that was before I moved out to the blasting room, but I was just enamored. Where were you living? I was living in Tacoma, Washington. Oh, okay. Not too far from here. I'm in Eugene. Yeah, you're in Eugene. I was born in Portland. That's where all my friends move away after they reach a certain age, you know? <laughs> From Eugene to Portland, yes. right? Yeah, they all transplant. Yeah. Nobody wants to fucking, unless you're Go Ducks, you know? And, Don't even bring that up. 
<laughs> Don't bring that up. No, I got a big family in Portland, and my uncle went to uh, U of O, or a couple of my family members did. But it's always like go Ducks or they you know go Beavers. You yeah. know, if they're going to Corvallis. Man, if if people have been listening to my shit like ten years ago, I had a a song out called "Fuck the Ducks," just, but and it wasn't about like some rivalry shit. It was just about like this town. You don't want to hear about the fucking duck. Is anymore. insane, you know, and yeah. it, it's. I'm just, yeah, I'm like rapping about, you know, fifty thousand drunk drivers and 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 you know everyone wearing their costumes that they bought, you know, just to right. sit on the couch and watch the show and just. Yeah. I, I went in and people, yeah, people fucking hated me for it, but uh, <laughs> I, I got a lot of a lot of people behind the scenes They're like, hey, I can't say this publicly, but you know, I feel the same. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But I, I love that story about just like woodshedding it. I mean, that that's like some Tom Morello shit. You know, I remember him being like, yeah, I just saw Eddie Van Halen and then I just decided to practice eight hours a day. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's how I did it. I spent 80 hours a week, Man. no joke, for years and years and years doing this shit because there was always so much more to learn and so much better you could get at it. You know, it was. So what are you doing for like your early home recording stuff? I mean, are you playing punk rock? Are you doing more stripped down stuff? I mean, you you got a four track to start with. Oh yeah, so I was playing in punk rock bands in high school, but when I went to college and I started to sort of learn about you know the recording stuff, I don't know what you would call it. Kind of like a, a really lighter version of like No Means No or Mr. Bungle or okay, yeah. Kind of like this was the early '90s, and it was sort of that sort of weird funk metal hybrid thing, you know? Yeah, that kind of jazz. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm a little younger, but I loved discovering all this music in the '90s when I'm 11, 12 years old, and there was all these mixtures of genres that don't right. really happen in any other decade. And so I feel like having grown up, then I'm a lot more open to unconventional shit because of that yeah that's kind of how i am most of my favorite bands are sort of strange odd time signatures and just weird melodies i don't know my, one of my favorite bands is a band called shudder to think i fucking love them they haven't i don't know, know they were big in the 90s they were like a discord band but oh okay yeah yeah so when do you i mean you said in college you were learning a lot about this i mean did you go to school for recording <laughs> no no, and I went to school for marketing. That's only because I didn't have any clue like what I needed to do. Or it's like, okay, business that'll work, you know. And I did that. And then after I got out of college, I got a job as a beer salesman for about a year. <laughs> and it was actually not a too bad of a job, you know. I made decent money, and it was really easy and everything. But I was the youngest guy there. I think I was twenty two or 23 or something and most of the guys that were close with their 40s or you know were wearing ties and shit and i'm like i don't think i'm gonna be able to pull this off my whole life yeah for 20 years i don't want to do this so when i was doing that i was in a band and our manager was also managing bill's band all yeah and so he had just gotten them a deal for interscope for pummel and they decided to move to fort collins to build the studio and the manager of my band was like i'm moving to fort collins you know, Bill's new guys are building a studio. Like, you should come out. You should do it. I'm like, fuck, okay. So I paid off all my debts, quit my job, and moved out to Fort Collins. And 
basically just sat on that couch for months and months on end. They wanted me to do monitors for them when they toured. So they sent me out with uh, the Super Suckers to do monitors for them on a Bad Religion and Sam I Am tour in 94. Nice. And that was kind of like super trial by fire. Here, go on tour. Learn how to do monitors. These people will show you how to do it. You know, I'm like, oh, fuck, okay, you know. Had you done any live sound at that point? Um, I had a buddy in Seattle who was running sound. It was like the crocodile, maybe. So I learned a little bit of that. And then through four track experience, I just kind of, once you learn signal flow, it's kind of okay. You can fake your way through it. So I did that, you know, and it wasn't great, but I had, you know, people who set the shit up and showed me how to do it and whatnot. Then I went on tour with all doing monitors for them for like a year. And then after maybe a year of that, I decided I didn't want to do that, so I stayed at home at the studio while they were gone, and then I really, really got to just kind of do whatever I wanted, you know, while they were gone. That's the time, from what I understand, like from the filmage documentary and stuff, that it was that record that sort of funded the creation of The Blasting Room. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, all that stuff was just a shell of a place at this point when you're tinkering around with it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. When we moved in, it was empty. You know, we built everything in there. But when we first started, there was only one studio and there was no acoustic treatment. It was just drywall. Everything was white. It was pretty stripped down and bare bones, you know. We just had the smallest amount of good stuff to make a good record, you know. The least amount we could get away with for like the first couple years. Well, and it makes me think like, if you're working on Pummel, right, you know, I had uh, Mike from Death by Stereo on the show recently, and he was telling me his first show of his first, like, legit tour, it was Death by Stereo and Agnostic Front, you know, and, and it's just like this was his introduction to, like, his first serious tour. So, I mean, is your first, like, real recording you know a whole record i mean i know you're not the head engineer or anything but like right was that really like one of your very first recordings yeah that was the very first thing that i got a credit on was pummel oh my god that's nuts yeah. man yeah because i was living with chad um the singer and so we would stay late at night a lot of times and i would just record his vocals if like he hadn't gone in or whatever, not really just for fun, but more like we were, you know, good buddies. And so Bill's just like, here, do this, do that. I'm like, what, how, you know, and like when you get done with one take, you got to make the patch cord over here and put it on this channel of the tape machine and move it over here, but make sure you don't record over this channel. And, you know, like whatever tape machines were a lot, hell, it was a total different story than Pro Tools. Yeah. So yeah. And that's basically was all, everything that I've done in audio is basically trial by fire. I've, just been thrown in or immersed myself into something and figured out how to do it. Yeah. I really, I don't really have any proper schooling, you know, but just try to figure it out or find people who did know how to do it, ask questions, but mostly it's just a ton of trial and error. I kind of love that as, you know, a person who's looked up to your work for such a long time. I didn't do any of the proper shit either. I've had people ask me like, hey, could I sit in with you and see how you whatever? And I'll be like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, go find someone who knows the right way to do shit because I just tinker with stuff until it sounds good. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's how, I mean, I still do that. I'm a little better now than I used to be, but I still just like, I would just, 
I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how much delay does a vocal need? I fuck if I know. Yeah. Just turn it on and I don't like that. Turn it down. Like, oh, you know, like just <laughs> tinker with shit till I was like, this sounds pretty good. You yeah. Know? I didn't know. You know, it would take me forever to do mixes when I started. <laughs> you know, I, I also love that you brought up Chad because I feel like he's such a just underrated part of that whole history of all and, and descendants intertwined and like right. i told bill when he was on the show i said you know this might surprise you but my favorite record in the whole thing is problematic man like there's just so much heart and love in those songs right. chad is an amazing singer and he's like an amazing human but he's probably the most soft-spoken guy of you know any of the singers and and of just people in general so like he doesn't really attract attention to himself you know per se other than through his voice which is amazing yeah that makes sense so fast forward uh a year or so and we got everything sucks where you're actually credited as the engineer yeah and your tracks are going to andy wallace what was that experience like uh, that was super cool because I, when I was like maybe I don't know fourteen or fifteen, the very first vinyl record I'd ever purchased was Milo Goes to College. Nice. So I was, I don't want to call myself a fanboy, but you know I was definitely into the Descendants when I was young, and so they were all. And Bill was like, "Oh, we're gonna do the Descendants again." I'm like, "What?" You know? Oh yeah, because that was the first in record. such a long time. You know, and Milo shows up and the whole thing, and I'm like, "Whoa, this is fucking crazy." You know, so it was it was kind of surreal like that, like a little bit starstruck-ish, yeah. you know, dealing with that. But, um, yeah, and then working with Andy Wallace, that totally changed my, that changed my game completely watching him work. Oh, so we you were actually to, uh, there together. Yeah, we, we went out, Bill Stefan and I went out to New Jersey, or it was New York, soundtrack studio, where he mixed it, and basically I just sat at the end of the console all day long and watched him you know and looking back on it i'm kind of like fuck some kid was at the end of the console <laughs> watching me i would tell him to get the hell out of here yeah. you know he was i don't know how old he was then maybe 49 or 50 and he was just a super cool and he still is because we've done work with him in the last handful of years but super cool genuine honest just easy to get along with guy just absolute gentleman in the audio world and so he didn't care what i did and if i asked him questions he would he would answer them and after that record he was mixing that record on an ssl and so we got home and bill was like hey andy can mix a record on an ssl and not use any outboard gear like andy only used the console which really isn't it's a little bit unheard of most people have a big huge rack of shit that they plug in and it's kind of like you know emperor's new clothes and look at all the stuff i uh blah, blah, you know like, totally he didn't have shit i mean uh Desta sells not not, not shit. <laughs> yeah yeah well, obviously you know it's like a great great mixing console but that's all he used other than like you know some effects that you have to plug in but it was very minimal and all of his records are like that and he was just so good it was kind of like how is he doing this so it was really awesome to kind of watch him and just sort of <laughs> I don't know, I'm still mimicking his technique, you know, to this day. Really? Yeah, totally. It's interesting because I, I mean, personally, I've been, I guess I'll say following you guys. I I, I was really caught by your sound. You know, I, I read the liner notes. I love all that, 
you know, totally. ner- nerdy shit, physical stuff, books about it, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm that dude. And so I, I think I want to say Operation Phoenix was the first time that I really was like, wow, that bass sounds crazy. Wow, those drums, the snare is really round. Like, who is this, you know? Right, and, and, right. and kind of from then on, it was like on my radar. Oh, and around the same time, I think, did you guys mix borders and boundaries for Lesson Jake? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, around that time, I started noticing, like, oh, okay. And then in more recent years, I feel like I'm listening to other bands who I felt like are sort of emulating that sound. But in a way, that's all got lineage back to Andy Wallace, really. It, it, it kind of does. I mean, like, well, Andy Wallace mixed Nirvana Nevermind. Yeah. He made three Slayer albums before that. Yeah. You know, he's done, like, every new metal band in the world in the 2000s with, you know, you like the music or not, the record sounds fucking bombastic. Yeah. The Rage Against the Machine records, the first Rage Against the Machine record is, like, <laughs> the ultimate rock sonic reference, in my opinion. Yeah. It's still, to this day, fucking badass. The drums, man. Everything about that, you just can crank that thing up and it just pummels you, you know? So, like, he was our kind of our hero. Like, and it's in his mixes are no nonsense, they're not glossed over yeah. with a bunch of effects, really. They're pretty dry, pretty visceral. You can feel the drums just pummeling you, you know? I always expi- aspire to be that good or, you know, for that aesthetic. To capture just, the vibe. Yeah, the vibe. Yeah. For sure. Man. I'm curious as to what you remember about sort of the the late 90s period where you guys are pumping out Lagwagon and All and Good Riddance. So we had Russ on the show. We talked a lot about making those records and yeah. kind of formulating your guys' version, you know, how how that came to be over the course of years. I mean, was there any sort of aha moments along the way of like, because I feel like there's a big change sort of after like revolutions per minute rise against that was sort of like the end of that early era and then things start to get like a little more evolved bigger everything's a little more carved out i mean just what was what was the process like in that period of time well like so the first handful of years up until like maybe maybe 2000 stefan the guitar player all he was doing the majority of the engineering he was like the main guy yeah majority of that recording and mixing and at a certain point we kind of started splitting the mixing duties up per record sometimes or other parts of the recording process but i was influenced by him because he was like sort of my mentor yeah if you will and then in like 2000 i was right around then i think he moved and so then it was kind of just me and bill and it was so i got more board time if you will but i have gone through like periods of hero worship you know andy wallace obviously like i made a record with steve albini with a band that i had recorded with so i got to oh, wow. watch his techniques and we've made a record with jack joseph puig and like we've worked with chris lord algae a bunch of times so yeah i sort of like kind of draw from all those influences and try to figure out like what stuff works for me 
you know, watching those guys do their thing, it's like you can't make it sound like them, but you know how they made it sound. So you can kind of go, oh, that's cool. I like how he does that. Oh, this guy does this thing. I like that. And sort of piece it together. And so right around Revolutions Per Minute, that's when Bill and I started like really getting really serious about like we weren't touring, you know, they weren't playing, all wasn't playing anymore. It was just record, 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 you know, and you have to get better. How can you not? It's all you do, 12 hours a day, every day, you know, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, man, that era of Good Riddance and Rise Against, I mean, I spent years on sort of a tone quest on trying to get, like, but like the bass guitar, right? Because there was such a distinct sound, and um, I was playing with a guy for years from my high school band into my 20s, and he had picked up this head that not a lot of people use. I'm sure you've used it, though, the SVT-2. And the SVT-2 is super cool. That's the tube one with the sliders on it. Yes, and, and, and it's yeah. the only one, because everyone's got like an SVT-3 or a 4 Pro or something four, like that. We had the 4 Pro and the Classic, but the, yeah, the 2. The, the two, 2 is the motherfucker. Like Mesa Boogie had the 400 Plus. Yeah, because it's got that built-in like tube gain channel in there, the, the extra saturation. And so right. I went through years of playing with that and sans amps and and different bases and all different sorts of pieces in the signal chain and eventually i just came up with this bass that fucking amp and the right mic combination and i'm i'm super dry run into nothing it's just that and a little eq and compression but like you guys set me off on that path of like man the bass is so present and i mean if you go back to rage it's like evil empire sort of it's it's kind of taking that, but but with the pick attack and that uh, I don't know. Yeah, because like, on the rage stuff, Evil Empire, I think he changed to like a, a P or a J. Yeah, he was on I a jazz know he bass. He was playing a Music Man on the first one. You can hear the electronic sort of bright top end on it. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of our early stuff, and still a lot to this day, we use the um, the Sans amp bass driver pedal. Mm-hmm. That thing is kind of a, the majority of our sound, or at least it used to be. Yeah. I feel like I read an interview someplace where you guys were talking about running running direct and using Sans amp and stuff like that, and I was like, yeah, man, I can't believe that's what they were doing all this time, because I have one of those, too. It was just, yeah, there was so, something not quite, it was all, it was almost, it was so close. Yeah, a DI, just a straight-up DI and a Sans amp bass driver pedal, Yeah, those two together work really well. They phase up perfectly, because yeah. they're both DIs. So if you just use those two together, you're going to be guaranteed a good sound. Maybe not a great sound or, or a bad sound. A good sound, for sure. Yeah. And then if you want to kind of vary it up from there, then you start throwing in different amps and whatnot into the picture. But the Sans amp, it's a great bass tone. <laughs> yeah, I definitely dig it. So we were talking a little bit about sort of that uh, transitional era, you know, kind of after RPM. I'm curious... We talked about Wallace. What was it like sending your stuff off to CLA, like on Suffer and the Witness and stuff like that? Well, that was an experience, too. We all went down there, the band and Bill and I. He's kind of got his own thing happening, if you will. So he, I don't think he knew who, you know, who we were or, or whatnot. And we didn't get along very well on the first record. We almost walked out and quit. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, because I wanted things some ways, and, you know, and he's got grammys and whatnot and you know he wanted to do it his way and yeah 
eventually after we worked through you know some of those issues like we finished the record and whatnot but when we went back to do the second record appeal to reason then he was like oh you guys are back <laughs> killer and we were kind of like this the same guy you know like but, oh n- now you like us <laughs> yeah now you like us now now that the record's kind of you know it's it's done something now you like us but no, we ended up working with him. We we did like four records with him. Yeah, and he does a great job. He's an amazing mixer, you know. But he's got his own personality. You got to, you know, you to work with. I think it's funny that you say that because, for me, I remember popping it in in the car, and uh, I was listening to it on my lunch break when I worked at Guitar Center, and I'm texting my friend like, "Yo, have you listened to this yet?" Like. Why the fuck would they pay all that extra money to have someone else mix it worse? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because it was a lot of extra money, you know, but but those guys are on a major label. And when you're on a major label, unless you got Grammys, they're kind of like, we're sending it to the guy with Grammys. Because if the record doesn't sell, we can say, well, at least the guy with the Grammys mixed the record. We we did all we could. Yeah, we did all we could kind of thing. Exactly. So... I remember I came home from that record, and I had done rough mixes of the whole thing. That and, I want to uh, hear. I'm playing it in the car, my mix and Chris's mix, and my wife's like, why are you playing the same song over and over? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know that trip that I just went on for a month? <laughs> well, the one that we paid, you know, like, a lot of money for? Yeah. Like, one is his, and one is mine. And, and she's like, no, these are the same. These, <laughs> you know, and I was just like... Oh, brother, you know? <laughs> I won't push you any more on that, but uh, I just thought it was interesting. I mean, you mentioned Albini. What was that that record? You said it was... Uh, was it was there something you, called Tanger. And you tracked it and he mixed it? No, I had done demos with them. Okay. I had done their demos, and we were all kind of fans of Albini style, but they were kind of like that sort of angular math rock thing and so they wanted to work with Albini and so I just tagged along if you will like I want to watch you know kind of thing and so I did and I would like throw my two cents in while they were tracking like if something didn't seem right to me and Steve was kind of like not really having that at first he was like yeah Jason thinks you guys are out of tune I guess you know (laughs) you might want to I don't know tune like kind of giving me this you know this kind of attitude for a, a bit until finally one, we were tracking something I don't remember and it was like hey, I'm like hey Steve can we throw on the demo that I did like I just want to see how that sounds weird blah blah and he's like yeah yeah sure so we put it on I'm like holy shit my demo sounds better than this does for sure oh no I'm thinking that and he doesn't say anything immediately sort of after that he's like oh yeah you want to record a vocal track or well, you, you know he was just way friendly <laughs> like you gotta prove it first yeah you gotta prove it that's funny yeah he's definitely from all the interviews i've seen seems like a very uh sort of crusty set in his ways dude for yeah, sure i mean you know he's pig-headed or whatever he does stuff the way he wants to do it and you know it's like if you love it or hate it i just love listening to him talk about you know his his whole process and how it's just oh, yeah. it's vibe over everything you know yeah he's very smart you know he's, he's a really smart dude knows a hell of a lot more about microphones than i do that's for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and uh i had trevor riley on the show yeah and that was another band where i think if there's any example of the production growth because i mean with rise against you guys 
wind up doing these collaborations with other engineers. But like with Wilhelm, if you take those first three records, I feel like that is so indicative of your kind of creative arc in sound. Because I remember Mute Print, you know, I, I bought it on that tour they did with Only Crime and Strung Out, blew me away. And then, and, and again, like I saw them open in Portland and I was like, wow, that band was really good. And then I went home and I Googled them and it said, you know, produced by Bill Stevenson, Jason Livermore. I'm right. like, oh, I'm buying that because I had tickets for both shows. And uh, I'm like, I'm buying that tomorrow. Love the record. But then Ruiner comes out and it's like, oh my God, something's happening. They're stepping their game up. Like, what, right. do you remember anything about working with those guys on the first couple records? Yeah, they were tough to track. There's a lot of information, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff going by real fast. There's a funny story about Wilhelm. The first time that they showed up, they walked into the studio and they had like two 30 packs of paps or some, something like that, you know, under each arm. It's like, oh, cool. These guys like to drink beer, you know? I come back the next day and all the beer's gone and there's just fucking cans everywhere. Oh my god! And so like I'm like, whoa, they really like to drink beer, you know? Um, and I come in and I'm like, kind of half being a smartass because that's how I am. Like, why don't you guys just buy a fucking keg if you're gonna drink this much beer? And they're kind of looking at me like no one had ever spoken to them before about a keg. Keg? What's that? How do we get that? <laughs> you know? I'm like, just go down to the liquor store. You're like, how much are they? I don't know, hundred bucks. Okay. So they did, and it was snowing outside, and we stuck the keg out in the snow and left it there for the week, you know? And I was just like, whoa! They're like, I mean, what, what is this West Coast shit you're telling us about? Yeah, it was really funny, because nobody's, I don't think anyone to this day still has shown up and just, we're going to get a keg, you know, put it at the studio. Well, that's their priorities, <laughs> I guess, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the kind of guys they are. They're great. I remember when career suicide came out and i didn't realize till later what the name meant and that there was pushback that you know they had taken it too weird or too far or whatever because i thought uh-huh. I, that album's a masterpiece to me and i um, i love that record too did you do the whole mix on that one yeah that to me and i told bill this too that's my like you said about rage against the machine self-titled right. That's my Rage Against the Machine. That's the one, like, right. if I buy a new stereo, if I need to test the mix, if I need that's whatever, that's the record, because it, right. it, it's flawless to me. So when I was mastering that record, Bill was like, dude, the vocals are too loud. The vocals are too loud. I was like, well, we were done mixing it, and I didn't have any vocal downs. Yeah. All I had was the instrumental mix and that mix. And I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I'm like, oh, I got it. So I played the instrumental mix and the mix and lowered the instrumental down yeah. so the vocals were quieter. That's you smart. Because it was completely in phase. It was the same mix. Yeah. But something about doing that made the drums way more punchy than they were like originally. That's crazy. So the, yeah, it was crazy. Like The record turned out much better because I did that. So you stacked two whole mixes on top of each other during yeah. mastering. During the master. That's yeah. nuts, man. It's something you don't do normally, but I was like, I don't know what to do about this vocal thing. Oh, I got it, you know? That's the shit that's hard. Like when you add a compressor or something like that and you're trying to A, B it and you have to adjust so they're exactly the same volume. 
Because naturally right. you're just like, oh, this one's louder. It sounds better. It has so more better. energy. You yeah, know? Absolutely. It's always better if it's louder. I'm going to have to fuck with that. That seems like a really cool thing to experiment with. Yeah, like it's like basically like using parallel compression on the whole mix, you know? Yeah. I think I compressed the instrumental like kind of hard too or something and just blended in underneath the, the regular mix. Yeah, that way you're just moving it like a room mic or something. Like you just bring it into taste. And just bring it into taste, yeah. I was like, how much vocal do you want me to get rid of? Oh, okay. But then after I did that, then I was, I was like, whoa, the drums sound so much more punchy. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Then around that time... You guys were just cranking out quality. We were working, like, when I'm saying we worked 80 hours a week or 72 or whatever, like, every day, 12 hours a day, Yeah, that's not a lie. We were working our asses off for years. <laughs> I mean, how do you, when you're doing those kind of days, how do you give yourself a break? How do you pace so you don't get ear fatigue like that? Well, I don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Geez, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, you just kind of get beat down, and that kind of becomes the normal, and so it's not like a weird thing. I mean, if you want to take a break, take a break, you know, when you're mixing, if you take a break every 45 minutes or an hour or something, it's obviously beneficial to the mix to come back and go, oh, my God, what was I doing? Why Whoops. is the bass so loud? Or, you know, whatever it is. But, yeah. Yeah, sometimes but, I'll just take a lap around the room. Yeah, Totally. But yeah, around that time, uh, again, like there's there's so much to to cover to talk about. But I'll, I have to mention Propagandi. Um, yeah. You guys did uh, just the the mix and master on Potemkin City Limits, but and that that was one of the records that really inspired me to go. You know, even though we can't afford to fly out there, let's see if we can do a mix and master because some of those records you had done, like the last Wilhelm or some of the Less Than Jake stuff, you know, uh-huh. and. I kept coming back to Potemkin going like, man, this shit was made in a fucking warehouse, though, and it sounds so good. Take me back to, to making the Propagandi records. I mean, like Supporting Cast in particular is up there with some of your best yeah. shit ever. Yeah, Supporting Cast turned out really well. Potemkin, they attract, um, I think they did the drums at a place called The Warehouse, which Brian Adam owns in, uh-huh. in, uh, in Vancouver, and maybe they had done the rest I don't know, in a smaller place or something, but we mixed that, and I think it turned out pretty good, but um, the way that Bill and I are, we're like a little bit more anal than those guys are as far as like uh, what can fly timing-wise and sonic and all that, you know. I mean, it's punk rock, but we're still trying to make it perfect if if we can, in a way, you know. When we did supporting cast, I remember I used to track guitars really anally, if you will, like five seconds at a time, ten seconds at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah, really, like to make sure everything was in tune and everything was tracked well and not played improperly, you know, because that was my focus. I was just honed in to that. That's it, you know, that was my life. So when I tracked Chris's guitars, he was kind of like looking at me like, dude, what are you doing? This is not what I thought this was going to be like. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, same with the drums. Everything. Everything was under scrutiny just to get it like as good as it could be. Yeah. And also when we were mixing too, I mean, there was a lot of push and pull between Chris and me about the drum sound and how like natural and real and organic it needed to be versus like i was like no it needs to be powerful and i need to do this to make it happen and you know we had to come to compromises and it wasn't like super easy to make but i think 
the end result of that record, you know, that record sounds pretty phenomenal. It's one of my favorite records that we've done, for sure. Yeah, and it's a little more guitar-heavy than some of your other mixes, but I think with right. their sort of thrashy vibe, it really, really works, you know? But when you have guitar players that good, <laughs> yeah, you can't turn them down. Yeah. You know? You can't. What you said about uh, tracking a few bars at a time or whatever, it reminded me in the beginning of our call, you were like, yo, I listened to this record, I'm like... It's just pure energy, right? Thinking about peril. And, uh, you know, you're like, how do you come up with that energy? I'll tell you, record five songs at a time without stopping. That, that's well, I know. Weird. I mean, I know that you did that because they were recorded that way. It was like a practice session. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got the vibe. And, and like, <laughs> I love it when I hear other people do it. Yeah. I love that. But when I do it, you're I'm like, like I can't. oh, God. Because like, if I have the ability to, like, hear everything in solo and what's going on. It's like, oh, you made a mistake there. Yeah. Oh, you did this. Oh, we got to fix that. Blah, 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 you know? Yeah. But ultimately, a lot of that shit doesn't really matter. And you, that's like, the longer you work on records, you got to figure out, does this matter? Do I need to pay attention to that when he made a mistake? Or is that like mistake super cool? Like, and that makes it way more rad. Yeah. It's hard to draw the line, you know? Well, and you guys have this interesting balance because i feel like the records all do have a ton of energy and that's what comes through um partially just with how the drums are sort of manipulated uh -huh. but it's not like the most um natural sound like it feels like the band it maybe feels like the band on like the biggest club speakers or something right but the it's the band could be hopefully but it's you know but it's also not like a fully naturalistic vibe you know it, no, it kind no. of strikes a balance not. you're right you know <laughs> i feel like if you take like just the other side of that you get like uh you know cameron webb or something like that and then you go a little further and then you get these like more metal producers like you know two madsen or something you guys are like a, a couple shades back from that so it still feels more real right i mean we started out like really i don't want to say really organic or not as organic as like steve albini but we started out before like samples were a thing and everything was tracked on tape and, yeah you know if the band couldn't play it then like you know you fired the band or put them back in the practice room it was all about <laughs> literally all about like you had to be good enough to play your songs and we just want to present them the way that you play them and, and the best that it could be but you know like the more popular music has come about and metal and punk rock's kind of like uh, infused with metal and whatnot yep. like you can't do that you have to like you you're losing the game you know you have to use triggers you you have to use compression and you know you have to use these tricks to make your shit sound awesome to hold up to those other records yeah but then you also have to go like well i don't want it to sound like a metal record i want it to sound like a punk rock record i want it to sound like a real band and you have to draw the line how far can you get away with before people's bullshit detector goes off? And goes, like, this is that's not real. real. Yeah, those guys. I saw those guys play. They're not that good. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, how many records then did you guys just sit down and be like, "Look, can I play this part?" <laughs> uh, more than I want to tell you about. You yeah. Know? Or that the band wants to know about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not asking for names, but I mean, I've in a very small 
microcosm of recording. I've done that for people I work with oh, yeah. too. You know, they're like, oh, well, I cannot get this guitar lick right. They're like, do you want to try it? I'm like, I'll play it if you want. And yeah. Let's get this over with. Great, sure. <laughs> Essentially, like before Pro Tools, that would happen, you know, a fair amount. If somebody couldn't get something, like we could get it or we would change the part. But once Pro Tools came about, you you can get away with so much crap, you know. Play yeah. half speed and we'll chop it up and make <laughs> it the speed it goes. Or play the fill 50 times and I'll take it and I'll cut it up. And yeah. Make it work. So that's that's one thing that I will do because I really like. I'm definitely you know a vibe guy and I like to do full takes, like a whole verse or a whole song, depending on if I'm doing a vocal or if I'm doing drums or whatever. I really like to do a whole chunk, but then I will do comp takes and kind of fix the imperfections like that. Uh That's more my method than nope, stop, do it again. Nope, stop, do it again. Right. That works very well, too, and a lot of times it depends on how much time you have, you know? Like, if you have a long time to make a record, you could be like, no, we can stop, or whatever, you know? Or, you know, you you do the whole verse, but then you go through and fix the handful of mistakes, whatever it may be, you know? One of my favorite things is if I'm doing a vocal, like, you know, a lot of times with my rap stuff, I'll be doing a very long, you know, I'll rap for minutes at a time without stopping. Right. And... If you just go in and punch a line, you don't it's have the same work. strain in your voice and and the yeah. breath is different. And so I'll go in and record like 30 seconds or a minute leading up to the two words that were wrong. Right. Just so right. I can, so can splice in. Flow. Yep, exactly. Just because it's, yeah. it's got to have the same amount of like fatigue in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it depends on where you take the breath. Yep. That, you yeah. know, like if you want someone to sound more strange you let them go further you know get more urgency in their voice and if you want them to sound like more pro or more just in control yeah like you punch them in every line and where they can get a big breath beforehand so they always feel like i don't, I don't want to say perfect but you know like they're just not strained they're, well yeah like with dfs vocals you know i've found the way to do it like if you see us live i mean the lines are a little abbreviated you know right and uh you gotta kind of just cut any filler words to get the breath, right? But like on the record, I record every other. You know, I'll do two lines and then rest and two lines and And then rest. And come in with another one, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, all of our songs ever have been recorded that way because that's the only way you can be at 100% energy all the time. Like you can't be that ferocious all the time. Right, right. You're going to pass out. Yeah. Um, so I got to dive in a couple of other bands that you've worked with here. Um, I know you guys just did the latest No Effects that hasn't come out yet. Yep. Um, another another great tidbit. My last guest was Lou Collar from Sick of It All. And I told him on the same day in 2006, Wolves came out and uh, Death to Tyrants from Sick of It All. Uh-huh. And two, three weeks later, I started DFS because I, I could not get those records out out of my head and i had to play punk rock again like it was just so inspired i love the experimentation on wolves you know how you guys kind of took it to the more blasting room sound for for coaster um but man those those albums were really really strong yeah wolf still stands up yeah and, and you guys um so if i'm remembering what bill said he flew out solo and tracked them at motor 
or were you there? So for for Wolves, both of us flew out there and tracked all of the drums together. And then I flew home and he tracked for a couple weeks and then I flew back and we just tagged him. You know, it was like, hello, George. Hello, Sam. You know, yeah. I'll see you next week kind of thing. Like, we tag-teamed the whole thing. And then I mixed it at Motor. Oh. Okay. That, I, I'd forgotten that he said that. That's the record that I've mixed at Motor. That's cool. It's, it's, no, that's not true. I mixed a Good Riddance record there, too. But Which one was that? My Republic, I think. Nice. I think it was My Republic. Yeah, that's a great sounding album. Thank you. Did you ever cross paths with Ryan Green at all? We had him on the show talking about sort of the earlier fat stuff. I know that you guys ended up taking over a lot of those bands when he moved out of the picture. Yeah, I've never met him in person. I've spoken to him on the phone. Basically, like when we did Wolves, it's like that was right around the time he split. Yeah. So he had all of his gear there. And I remember, I think him and Mike had this set up, but we came back one day and like, all of his gear was gone. Oh, shit. Like, a truck came in the middle of the night with his boys, and they took everything. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. So, like, I had to make a big list of things we needed, you know? Like, Mike, you need to buy this stuff if you want us to continue the record. Yeah. (laughs) So Mike bought, you know, whatever I had on this list for him to finish the record, but that was kind of, I was like, oh, God, really? Did this just, couldn't you have waited a month? Or, like, what? That's great. That's between those two guys. Well, you know? he he told me some similar shit about when they were making the decline. It was something like that. I think they ran out of tape, and no one had tape because the decline's so fucking long. Right. I think he went and literally sent someone to buy his first ever Pro Tools rig and recorded the last chunk of the song, on like on a whole separate rig that they bought that fucking day because the. Right. It was like the same sort of thing where it's like, oh, we're three quarters away through the record and now we can't use the gear we have. What next? <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah, man. Yeah. That shit's great. <laughs> uh, so you probably can't say too much, but I mean, how was the uh, process on the new No Effects record? Did you also do it out there? Yeah. That one, Bill tracked the majority of it himself up until like he basically ran out of time yeah he had like a certain amount of time that he could put towards the record and that came up and he was like dude you got to come out here because i haven't really done too much tracking on the last few no effects it's mostly been him yeah and then i'll mix them at home but i ended up going out there and tracking for a week or week and a half or something and sort of finished up as much as i could and then you know mixed it at home but that was like a year and a half ago, and it's been a long process. It was a, it was supposed to be a double album. Oh wow! There's a lot of songs that got tracked, and a lot of songs that didn't get finished, and new songs that got added and whatnot. But I finally finished the first master for it this week. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought they had just been sitting on it because I know they released a couple of the B sides. Well, some of the stuff that they had released, I think, um, like Fish in a Gun Barrel and um, yeah. Doors and Fours, those are going on the album. Okay. I was really happy that they went back to you guys, is all, <laughs> is all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. There's, certain, I hear there's you. certain combinations, right, where 
it's just a good fitter. It's not. Right. And uh, man, I really missed that sound that you guys came out. I mean, not that any of those records sounded the same because those you did three in a row. Yeah, um, they all sound a little different. But still, like... Yeah, similar similar vibe. It leans no, more natural not. than, you know. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I want to shout out a couple more of my favorite things that you've ever uh, worked on. The last No Use for a Name. What an excellent record. What do you remember about working with Tony and the gang? Those guys were like a bunch of jokesters. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They were super fun. Super fun, super talented. I don't remember, like, too much, you know, weird stuff specifically, per se, but... That's just such a great record, and the way that Tony's voice evolved on that album, and it opens with such a, like, machine gun fire of, like, some of their most pissed-off stuff in years, and yet it has this kind of gentle wind-down at the end, like... I mean, how much are you involved in sequencing? Do the bands figure this out, or do you have any input on this? It depends on the record. A lot of times I do like to sequence records. I'm, I feel like I'm fairly good at it, like yeah. crossfades and whatnot. I don't remember who sequenced that record, but obviously if I didn't do it myself, I would have given my two cents for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that I really, really loved, you guys did the last two Useless ID records. And yeah, last more than that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was late to the party with this band, and so... Okay. I was like, you know, I haven't checked up on like Fat Records other bands in a long time, right? And so right. this is like seven, eight years ago, I pull up their YouTube channel and I'm just watching anything that they put out in the last few months, right? Right. And one of the tracks from Symptoms came on and I was like, how the fuck? This is a band, I've recognized the name. I couldn't tell you what they sound like. And they, that was a perfect pop punk record. Yeah, stunning. Y- y- Yodam is like super duper talented. Obviously influenced by No Use, you know. And, yeah. In the Fat Records sound, but he's a really good songwriter and just he's a producer on his own as well. So those records were like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say they're easy to make, but when you got somebody that talented, you know, it's like you end up with a good record. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Symptoms is one of those ones that I had on repeat so much that even my mom fell in love with it. I bought her a copy. Uh, That's funny. The bookkeeper at my old job would be like, who is this? This is great. And I'm like, oh, it's useless ID. Look it up. You know, I mean, like I, I just had that record on and on. I played it to death. The last one was great, too. The opening song again, I was like, is this the same band? Yeah. I did a double take. I actually looked. Did I click the right link? Um, right. Yeah, they went more like more punk rock, if you will. I guess. Uh, oh, I know? fucking loved it, but it still got the hooks, man. And, and uh, both of them just such great sounding records. But that one had like the extra fire in it too, man. I I just loved yeah. it. That was the newest one that you did was like a little bit more raw ish, whereas like Symptoms is very polished pop punk rock record. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious. Do you have any? personal favorites from your body of work it's so huge but i mean was there a moment you felt like i'm extra proud of this one i think we nailed it right yeah there's a handful of them like rpm that was yeah sort of like a a turning point like you mentioned earlier of like sort of a, a step up in sonic quality i guess if you will that one um i really like the hot water music record that we did 
Exeter. I think that one's pretty great. I'll have to look that up. I only had them on like compilations and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. That one's a great. I mean, there's a lot of bands that are great records, but yeah, that one. The last two Propagandis, the newest one that I had mixed and mastered. Uh, you redid Fail States, right? I redid that. I remastered it, but I got the stems. Ah. So I was able to tweak about much more than a normal mastering job. See, I didn't realize that because I was like, I've already bought it once. And frankly, I loved those middle records like so much more that right. I, I didn't buy it twice. But now it makes me want to go and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's the same record, but I, it sounds it sounds better. I think you can hear the individual parts yeah. more. The, ba- the bases I featured a little bit more. It, it's... It's a little better. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little better. The newest one, that one I like a lot. So I was mixing that one, and they had worked with us a bunch, you know, and then they did the failed states up in Canada. And it's, you know, it sounded decent, but then I'm doing the newest one, and Chris is like, do you think you could fix our last record? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I totally could. So he goes, I could give you the stems. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could totally fix it then. Not that it needed fixing, per se, but... Sure, but, I, I mean... Could, I could tinker around with it more and do what I wanted. And so. it's just also just some consistency in their body of work, because it's like, oh, well, now we have an outlier. It's like when Rise Against made Siren Song with uh, yeah. Garth, whatever. Right. No, no last name. Um, and Yeah, exactly. I don't. I still don't know how you're supposed to say it, but... Uh, <laughs> well, his name's Garth Richardson, and they call him Garth because he's had a really bad stutter. Gotcha. Again, back to Rage Against the Machine, but but yeah, yeah I mean that that he made that record. That's <laughs> that Siren Song album is such a weird outlier, and so I mean I get it when a band switches it up. Hey, maybe you can redo uh, First Ditch Effort next. <laughs> right. No, totally. I mean, I so we just finished the new Rise Against, which isn't out yet. Yeah. And I mixed this one. Chris didn't mix it. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Well, that's another one. Wolves, I was like, oh god damn it, why did like I bought it and I'm listening to right. it? I'm like, the bass sounds good because Joe always sounds good, but the drums, man, it's flat, yeah. it's like I a think, pop record. Oh, well, you, oh, yeah, that one, Wolves, right, the Rise Against Wolves, right? I <clears throat> yeah, you were talking about, yeah, not, uh, yeah, we are right, we already had a Wolves earlier, my bad, yeah, 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 no, yeah, that was <laughs> the, new, the newest one they did, or not the newest, well, I guess the most recent, the newest really. com- released one, yeah. The newest release one, yeah. 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 They did that with Nick Rasky and Lennox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He works with, like, uh, Queens of Stone Age and some other shit? He, he did some stuff on that and, like, Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Rush and... That's right. But, yeah, it was a totally different vibe. It just didn't... It wasn't the sound. Yeah, I mean, without saying too much about it, you know, they came back to us, so... Yeah, I mean, I can say that. You don't say that. Yeah, I don't say it. But I, I can say it. I can say that, and I can say as a fan of them since Unraveling, I was excited. They're coming back. Yeah, they made a pretty good record. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, you know, I don't, give, I don't give out high compliments too much. Pretty. Well, then I feel really good. <laughs> yeah, you should. I was stoked on your album. Fuck, wow. Uh, you know, actually, that reminds me. Did you know you worked on a third album of mine? was it called <laughs> in 2005 you mastered an album called this day's end i doubt you would remember it it's because it's missing from your discography uh when i was i was going through here to, to that's probably because the hard drive got it. like uh 
failed or something and we didn't know about it. I don't know. Yeah. I've done, not to like downplay it or whatever, but I've done like, I don't know, like 150 to 200 records of Masters every year. My so, God. Some of them slip under the rain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my my high school band at that time. I think we were 19 and we spent like 6 weeks uh up in up in Seattle making this record and it was our first attempt at really trying to do one right, you know. And so uh right. I was like, well, I know who we got to have master the shit. <laughs> and granted, you know, music has aged well, I'm told. A lot of people still listen to it. Yeah. Uh but you know, definitely as being like one of the first records i worked on there's a lot of problems sonically oh, so yeah. you know yeah, there always are so i know? wouldn't expect it to be memorable but i had to throw that out there i've gone through a couple different mastering programs yeah and one of them's gone now and i've had a couple of years of hard drives that have gone hit or miss so sometimes i can come back and go, oh yeah i remember that here it is and I'll, I'll send okay. I'll send you a link to it so you can be like oh I remember this garbage. <laughs> yeah, Let's see if I remember. I might. I mean, it just takes a couple minutes. But oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, so before we wrap up, I just wanted to talk about the uh, documentary they announced. I mean, I don't even know if they really announced. I just saw a fucking Instagram page that says yeah. There's no real announcement. Like basically, we were. Um we did a like a 25th anniversary show yes like a party and it took us forever to kind of figure out like what if anything we were going to do for a 25th anniversary bill and i are both not really ones to sort of toot our own horns so we're kind of like ah whatever you know what and the younger guys that work with us are like no you have to do something like you know yeah you've been in fucking business for 25 years and we're like oh, okay so we, you know the the party and the show came about it it was fucking awesome, and I had an amazing time. It was, you know, it was great. I'm super stoked that we did it. But they ended up like filming a bunch of that, and then right oh. about that same time, the uh, documentary guys came about, you know, and it was sort of piggybacking off that the 25 year anniversary. That's awesome, man. I, I when Bill was on, it was announced, but it hadn't occurred yet, and I was okay. like, fuck, I wish I could get the money fly out there man that'd be oh, so great it was super fun yeah i bet so is this a whole different team because we we saw a glimpse of this stuff in filmage is this uh, a whole whole different, different, different world team, yeah how did they approach different you team. guys about that uh there's a guy who's done like who works in town in fort collins who's done a ton of like recording video stuff and he's done like a lot of the rise against like uh rise against the studio hey, mm. check out what we're doing you know that kind of thing yeah forever and ever so it was just kind of like well if somebody's gonna do it like kevin should do it so it's kevin and a couple dudes that he knows and one dude like works on like national geographic films and just you know like some dudes that are actually legit film guys and yeah have you guys already done a lot of your interviews or is this very early stages a lot of the interviews got done and then COVID happened yeah and it got on put on a big hole and i actually just did my interview it may have been yesterday <laughs> uh, yeah it's a blur before. i can't remember so it's getting closer to being completed i hope cool well i'm looking forward to it man i appreciate you taking the time to sit with me today yeah 
Thanks for having me. Obviously, shout out to Bill and Chris and Andrew and Jonathan. And who else is on the crew now? Did I miss anybody? No, that's it. Man, uh, just just an all-star team. I love what you guys do. And keep it up, man. I'll keep buying them. (laughs) All right. Thank you. All right, that is our show. Huge shout out to Jason for taking the time. You know, we got to work together a couple times before, but never actually just got to sit down and chat, never met in person. So that was a really good time as somebody who's uh, been listening for 20 years at this point. So as always, I appreciate your guys' comments and your DMs. Let me know you like the show. Please take a screenshot, help spread the word. We're going to be back with some hip-hop, but first I'll leave you with a track, Mix and Master by Jason Livermore. This is Dead Fucking Serious, Maga Man.